Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. of Mark is the gospel record of action. It's written to the Roman mind and it shows continual action. There are 16 chapters within the gospel record of Mark. Twelve of them start with the word and. And it's just showing Jesus and his actions one after another after another. There's not a lot of discourses. There's not a lot of interactions. But it shows Jesus as a man of action. It shows him as the perfect servant. Now, of course, we witnessed that this morning as we medically went through what happened to Jesus Christ up on the cross as He suffered our hell for us, that most people did not go through the scourging and the cross. But Jesus went through both of those things to pay our price. And now we pick up the aftermath as Jesus Christ has been crucified up on the cross. Let's see the continuation of what occurs on that day. Notice with me, if you don't mind, the gospel record of Mark, chapter number 15. And notice with me, starting at verse number 13, to give a good running start of where we're at. The gospel record of Mark, chapter 15, and verse 33. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Aloy, Aloy, lama shabbatani, which being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on afar, among whom was Mary Magdalene and the and Mary, the mother of James the less, and of Joseph and of Salome, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him, and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. And now when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead, calling unto him the centurion and asked him whether he had had been any while dead. And when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And when he And he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a sepulcher, which was hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone unto the door of the sepulcher. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, beheld where he laid. And with this, if you're in the habit of marking things in your body or in your Bible, mark a phrase that we find in Mark chapter 15 and verse 43, the body of Christ. 
the body of Christ. And with this, we want to witness what occurs to Jesus Christ's earthly body after he died upon the cross. The body of Jesus. Let's go to the Lord together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you now, we're just asking that you would open up this passage, open up our understanding in this historical text, that we could see this historical event, but also understand the spiritual significance of the things that occurred here, that we may understand, that may we wonder, and then we could also go to you with more confidence, boldly to you. Thank you again for whom you are. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, as we've already taken time this morning to go through the events of Jesus and the cross, and yea, we've already been through as Jesus went and spent the night with his disciples, giving them the, um, <laughs> the last supper. We've watched him as he's gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that all of this has taken place in less than 24 hours. 24 hours ago, from the point of Jesus dying on the cross, he was with his disciples preparing for the Last Supper. He's gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's been put on a false trial. And remember, they put him on a false trial, had him arrested, and had a guilty verdict of death before 7 o'clock in the morning. He's already been tortured, put up on the cross. And it hasn't been 24 hours yet. It's been a busy, fulfilled day on the last life, night, the last day of the Lord Jesus Christ within his earthly body. As we come here, we want to see the things that are coming after the, the, after the cross and during it. Notice, if you don't mind, the first thing here is the effects of Jesus' death. The effects of Jesus' death. Notice, if you don't mind, the first thing which we had mentioned this morning in verse 33. And when the sixth hour was come, if you remember what we said this morning, is that the Hebrew day started at 6 o'clock in the morning, so the first hour would be uh, 7 o'clock, the second hour would be 8 o'clock, the third hour would be 9 o'clock, the sixth hour would be high noon. So starting at high noon, and when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And again, we took time to explain this morning that this wasn't an eclipse. An eclipse doesn't last three hours. But this was a supernatural darkness, the same type of supernatural darkness that was over the land of Egypt during the time of Moses when he told Pharaoh to let my people go. It's an eerie darkness. It's a type of darkness where you can't even see your hand in front of your face. It's a supernatural darkness. It's the type of darkness that makes your skin crawl. And this is as Jesus Christ is dying on the cross. That darkness hit. And again, we explain that Jesus had to suffer our hell. And the same things about hell was what Jesus put on the cross. Hell is a place of darkness. And as Jesus Christ was there, darkness hit. What an amazing thing. Then, as Jesus Christ died upon the cross, verse number 37... And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Now, this is amazing itself. Remember, as we said this morning, when someone died of a crucifixion, it usually took them three days to die because they would die of asphyxiation. And we explained the process and what was going on medically with that this morning. And so usually it took three days to die. But here, Jesus, 
He was only on the cross a matter of six hours. And he gave up the ghost. He died. Now, of course, there was a centurion. A centurion would be the commander of a hundred troops. He was there to witness the cruc- uh He was basically there to make sure the people on the cross died, that no one tried to get him down, that no one tried to... He was just supervising the whole thing. And the Bible gives it a different passage that there's an earthquake. So if you can imagine being there, your job is to supervise what is happening. And you watch this man, Jesus. You watch as everyone rails against him. But at the whole time, Jesus didn't say anything wrong. In fact, the Bible talks about the book of Isaiah. It gives a prophecy of Jesus that talked about the tongue of the learned. And that there were seven sayings of Jesus Christ up on the cross. One was to look after his mother. He took time to win someone to the Lord. He forgave all of those around him. He cried out in his human body that I thirst. He also exclaimed that my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? And then he gave up the ghost. You know, none of those sayings were hateful. None of those things were revenge. None of those things that said, I'm going to get you. But even while he was dying, he had the tongue Of the learned. That's a special study for you to do sometime. The tongue of the learned. And someone may say, well, when I get under pressure, I just fly off of the mouth. Well, there was no pressure like Jesus Christ. And he had the tongue of the learned. And the centurion's watching him, he's witnessing Jesus Christ and his interactions. Then he watched as supernatural darkness hit. The Bible says there was an earthquake. And so he's standing there and finding the the ground rumbling and rolling under him. And those are some amazing things. But you know the Bible says something very interesting about what got the centurion. What was it that affected the centurion? It was not the darkness for three hours. It was not the earthquake. But notice this, verse number 39. And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out. What did he cry out? Well, that's in verse number uh, uh, 37, where Jesus cried out with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. The passage here doesn't say his exact saying, though the other gospel records do. But he said, Lord, I commend my spirit. When the satyrian saw that he, Jesus, so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man is the Son of God. Now, what does this mean? Well, the centurion's watching. He has watched many prisoners die. In fact, he's watching the two thieves currently dying. He has watched Jesus Christ at his testimony. He's witnessed the darkness. He saw the earthquake and felt it. But what was it that affected him? That Jesus Christ was so much God that it was himself that commanded him to die. Jesus gave the order to die. Jesus had control over death that he chose when to die. You don't have the choice to die. You can't just say, well, you know what, I'm done. You can't give up your spirit. But Jesus had so much control over death. He's the one who chose when to die. The centurion 
were professional soldiers. They have fought wars. They have witnessed the death. They are so much that as being a professional soldier and working up to a centurion, and especially having the job of watching crucifixions, which were a common death penalty, he has witnessed many people dying. But he's never had someone who had control over death so much that he could say, all right, I'm done, and just die. Jesus never stopped being in control. He never stopped being God. That he even commanded death when his body would die. That's what affected the centurion. That's when he said, truly this man was the son of God. Because only God has power over life and death in that matter. Imagine that after seeing all those miracles. The earthquake. The darkness. It was this man, Jesus, command over death. That affected him. This has to be God. Now after the death of Jesus Christ. They had to do something with the body. Which brings us to the second thing. The burial of Jesus. The burial of Jesus. Notice if you don't mind starting at verse 40. And there were also women looking on afar off. That's kind of interesting isn't it? Where are the men? Where are the disciples? It was these brave ladies. Who were braver than the men who stayed and watched the death of Christ from a distance. These are ladies that had loved the Lord and ministered to him. Notice what it says. Verse 40. And there were also women looking on afar off. Among whom was Mary Magdalene and the Mary of uh, the mother of James the less. And of Joseph and Salome. Uh, Salome was uh, the mother of, um, <coughs> of James and John the sons of Zebedee. So here it's mentioning a bunch of ladies. Notice what they did, verse 41. Who also, when he, that's Jesus, was in Galilee, they also followed him and ministered unto him. And many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. Now, of course, the twelve disciples get all the press. But the ladies were there. Some of them were mothers. Think about this. When James and John left Zebedee, They left their mother too. Their their mother gave up their sons to go follow after Christ. That's giving a big thing. I give my children to follow after you. But later on, they decided they were going to follow. Maybe they helped wash clothes. Maybe they helped do different things. The Bible says they ministered. That means they served. They gave their lives to serve Jesus. And so they followed him too. Whatever Jesus needed. They helped prepare the meals. They helped take care of things. They helped uh, do all the stuff. Aren't you glad for that? I mean, 12 guys living by themselves. That'd probably be a mess. They need someone to help them out. And, And they don't get a lot of press. But these were ladies. The Bible takes special time to say. These ladies followed. They ministered. They served Jesus. Because they loved him. They loved him. And many other women which came up with them in Jerusalem. And now when the even was come because it was the preparation that is the day before the Sabbath. So these ladies loved the Lord so much that they followed him. And even though they were watching from afar, from a safety, they were keeping a eye on. Because they wanted to see what was going to happen to his body. They wanted to see what was going to occur with him. Now the disciples, they took off. They're hiding. Peter's crying somewhere. The rest of the disciples are thinking about quitting. But here are the ladies. Watching over Jesus. 
even trying to be a blessing to him. They're far off, but they, if they had the opportunity, I honestly believe they would try to minister to him still. They're just looking for the opportunity. Well, during this time, there was another follower of Jesus Christ who was prepared. But notice with me in verse 42. And now when was even was come, because it was the preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath. Now we know that the Hebrew Sabbath day is on, on traditionally Friday night to Saturday. But also the high feast day, which included the Passover, was also considered a Sabbath day. It was a day that you didn't work. It was a day you set aside. And so... Remember that the Passover had two phases to it. You had Nisan the 14th, which would be the 14th day of the month, which would be the preparation. You would prepare the Passover. Then the actual Passover is observed when sundown hits. It's technically the next day for the Hebrew people. And it would be the Passover day, which would be Nisan the 15th. And so I'm just giving the things. So what they're trying to do is that this is actually the preparation day where people would still prepare for the Passover. And they want to get Jesus off the cross and buried before the Sabbath day, before this Passover day. Because then they could not officially work and bury the body, put him aside. So they only had a limited time. It's now three o'clock in the afternoon. Jesus has given up the ghost. They want to get him down because the Hebrew day sunset would begin at six. Three hours. So immediately plans get into action when they realize that Jesus has died. Notice in verse 43, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, remember that he was part of the Sanhedrin. And we had talked about in the illegal trial, that in the illegal trial they met in the morning and they didn't invite all of the Sanhedrin. They didn't meet all of the counselor. One of the people they did not invite was Nicodemus. And they didn't invite Joseph. Because they probably would have said, listen here, this is illegal, you're going against the rules. But they didn't want to hear that, so they didn't invite him. So Joseph, he wasn't there for the trial but he says, I've got to do something. I didn't have the opportunity to stand up for the Lord. They didn't invite me. I didn't know what was going on. They purposely left me out. But I could try to do something now. And so he goes. Notice what the Bible describes him in verse 43. And Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God. Again, this is a, a testimony saying that he was a believer too. He was looking for Jesus setting up the kingdom. He was looking forward to the Messiah doing what he said he was going to do. He had been preparing for this. Came and went boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. There's no time to waste. So he went in and said, Mr. Pilate, I appreciate everything that you do. Jesus of Nazareth is dead. May I have his body? Now, it's only been six hours. It usually takes three days for someone to die up on the cross. N Notice what Pilate said when he heard about this. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead. And calling unto the centurion asked whether he had been any while dead. So, is he really dead? So he called someone up. Pilate was amazed. He was expecting three days later for people to start asking for his body. He's already dead. We just put him up. I just saw him a couple hours ago. He was just standing here. He was marveled. It amazed him. Again, because Jesus had the power over death, he chose when to give up his spirit. Verse 45, And when he, that's Pilate, knew it of the centurion he gave the body to joseph he said help yourself you take care of him now remember pilate thought that jesus was innocent and did everything he could even the scourging was made to try to get jesus free 
So he had no problems. Turn them over. Take, take care of it. And so he sent Joseph. In verse 46. And he, Joseph, brought fine, bought fine linen and took him, Jesus, down and wrapped him in linen and laid him in a sepulcher which was hewn out of a rock and rolled a sepulcher and the door of a sepulcher. Now, <coughs> because they only had a matter of hours, usually for a burial, they would also put spices and burial spices with it. And that was made because after three or four days, the body would begin to smell. And so they would often bury uh, someone with burial spices so you could go and visit them a little bit later and can stand the smell. But because they only had a couple hours, they didn't have time to do the full preparation. They had enough to kind of inter him, wrap him up, put the linens, put the door over him, and that was it. Just a rush job just to make sure that he was taken care of. But notice verse 47. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph beheld where he lay. Here's these ladies again. They kept eye on the body of Jesus the entire time. As they're taking Jesus down, they're watching. When they're burying him, they're trying to keep an eye of where they're at. So that way they can tell everyone, this is where Jesus is at. Remember, the rest of the disciples are still scattered. They're still running. And they watched as the, the tomb was sealed. And we'll talk more about that some other time about the sealing of Jesus Christ and this thing. But we're watching the body of Jesus. And Jesus died and he was buried. But in this chapter here, there is an amazing verse that brings us to the third thing. The access we have through Jesus. The access we have through Jesus. Notice with me in verse number 38. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Now, if you remember inside of the tabernacle, the temple, that you had certain pieces of furniture, and all of it was a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. That the first piece of furniture you would come into the courtyard would be the brazen altar. And here was the place where it was a picture that something had to die because of our sin. And we know that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Then the next thing you would come is that the priest would go from working on the altar, or the brazen altar, to come to the brazen laver. The brazen laver was a place where they could wash their hands. And that we understand that even though we are forgiven of our sins because of the blood of the Lamb, we still have to take a bath. You still have to take a shower. That's why 1 John is in the Bible. 1 John says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then what you would do is you would actually go into the temple. And inside of the temple, you would have it divided up into two sections. The first section was called the holies. And inside of here, you would have three pieces of furniture. You would have the table of showbread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Then you would have the golden candlestick. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Then you would have on the backside, you would have... Um, an altar of incense, which represented the prayers going before God. And Jesus is our great intercessor. Now behind this table of uh, altar of incense, you would have a big thick veil. Now a veil was kind of like a curtain, but instead of a thin curtain, it was a hand's breadth thick curtain. It was a thick 
fire curtain, basically, if you're familiar with those type of things. It is a huge, thick curtain. And it was made to be thick that it was hard to get through to show that there was a separation between the holy and the holy of holies. Now beyond the veil was where the Ark of the Covenant was. The Ark of the Covenant was to represent the presence of God. And in the temple... You had the priest who would work in the courtyard. They would wash their hands. They would serve in the tables. But no one was allowed to go beyond the veil into the Holy of Holies. Except the high priest. And that once a year. And not without blood. The high priest once a year would make a big deal. That what would happen is that he would make a sacrifice for himself. To make sure he was right with God. And then he would bring a sacrifice of blood inside, be, go beyond the veil, into the presence of God. And there he would pray for the people Israel. They would give him the request, and he would go beyond the veil, and once a year give those requests, pray for his nation, pray for those, and it would spend an event. Now the problem was, is that if the priest was not right with God, God could smite him for going in there not being right. Which bodes a problem because no one could go beyond the veil. And so if he died, who's going to go get him? So on the priest's garments, they would often have bells. And then he would have a rope attached to him. And so as long as he was praying and moving, you could hear the jingling of the bells. You know he's alive. But if the jingling stopped and the rope didn't move, well... And so they would drag the rope out and pull him back in. Now, what this is doing is showing it's a serious thing to go to the presence of God. This is a big deal. And only once a year, according to the setup of the tabernacle and the temple, that could someone go and have access to God. But when Jesus died on the cross... You know what God did? That big, thick hand breath. I mean, some of you probably wish you could <coughs> be that good wrestler and rip your shirt and just show how strong you are. But if you took a big, thick curtain, a hand breath thick, some of you could try and try and try. That's not going to break. But you know what God did? When Jesus died on the cross, God rent that veil in two. You say, what's the big deal of this? I'm glad you asked because this is a huge deal. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10. The book of Hebrews, chapter number 10. Now, as a reminder, the book of Hebrews is an Old Testament commentary through the filter of Jesus Christ. We'll be going through the entire book of Hebrews at the beginning of the year. And I love this book. It's my favorite book. Because it shows all the New Test Old Testament stuff. It shows all this stuff. And how it all points to Jesus. Notice with me in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. And notice what the Bible says about this veil that was rent in two. Notice with me Hebrews chapter number 10. Starting at verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated uh, for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest 
over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart. In full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. Now what this is saying. Is that when that veil was rent. We all have access to God ourselves. We no longer have to go through a priest. We no longer have to go through an institution. We no longer have to go through a temple. We no longer have to go through a sacrifice. The sacrifice was made. And every single one of us have equal access to God. Now, why is this a big deal? Why am I making such a big deal? Because some people believe that as a pastor, that as soon as I became a pastor, I get a, I get a special red bat phone that's underneath the glass. And whenever I need to get a hold of God, I just lift up the glass and say, God, I need your help. Or maybe as a pastor that what I get when you get ordained and you get set for the gospel ministry, that they give you a special calling card. 1-800-PLEASE-PRAY. And that this is your secret access to God. But let me tell you, you have as much access to God as I do as a pastor. You don't have to go through a person. Now, I am glad to be able to give prayer requests and pray to God. But you could pray yourself. You can talk to God any time you want. You don't have to wait till one time a year. You don't even have to wait till one time a week. You could talk to God any time you want. You all have access to God. And the Bible says, therefore, you can go boldly to the throne room of grace. Meaning, you don't have to wait for an appointment. You don't have to wait for the secretary to go ahead and fit you in. You don't have to press one for English or two for Espanol. You don't have to have an answering machine. You can talk to God anytime you want. You don't have to set up special music. You don't have to put up candles. You don't have to do a special stand on one leg and do a secret handshake. You could talk to God any time you want. And anytime you need, you have access to God. Dr. Curtis Hudson was one of my favorite preachers, and he died of cancer in 1995. As he was reaching his final days, he had a man come and seek him out. And he said, Dr. Hudson, I understand that you're going to be going to glory soon. He says, yes, sir, I am. And he says, when you get to glory, when you talk to face Jesus, can you go to him? My son is sick of cancer. He says, can, when you get there, can you go talk to God for me? And go talk to him and ask him to do something for my son? And Dr. Curtis Hudson says, no, I won't. And the man went, well, what do you mean no? He says, listen, when I die and I stand before God, you will still have just as much access to God as I will when I'm in heaven. You talk to him yourself. You don't have to wait for me to die. Go talk to God yourself. He will hear. He will hear. Isn't that wonderful? That means that if you're driving down the road and all of a sudden an accident starts happening, you don't have to wait to Sunday to say, God, please help me. You can just say, God, help me now. Help me now. And he will. You come to the place where someone's asking you for a decision right then and there. You don't have to wait. You could say, Lord, help me have wisdom right now. And He will. 
Aren't you glad we don't have to wait? Aren't you glad we don't have to have a special access number that most of us would end up losing and can't find because it got put in the washer? Aren't you glad you don't have to go to a man and confess your sins and hope that he'll get it right with God for you? You have access to God yourself. That's what the blood of Jesus did. That's what the death of Jesus did. That when he died in his body, it rent that veil apart. Notice with me again in the book of Hebrews chapter number 10. And notice with me in verse number 19. Having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiness, holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now remember we saw that word boldness before. Where did that word boldness? It was when Joseph of Arimathea came to Pilate. Now, do you think that Joseph of Arimathea burst himself past the guards and said, Listen here, buddy, you better give me the blood, uh, body of Jesus now! Is that how we approach it? Is that what boldness means? Not at all. It does not mean that you could be rude or crash or disrespectful. But it does mean that he felt like he could go straight up and give his request without stammering and stuttering and trying to get up the courage. He had access. Pilate, can I have the body of Jesus? There was no time to waste. There was no time to set up an appointment or get the band music to soften up Pilate's heart. You know, if we could play a nice ballad and then maybe we'll get Pilate on my side. No, he went boldly. He went to him. Can I have the body of Jesus? We have that same access now. Now, let me pause here. If every single one of us have access to God, and you could talk to God at any time, you know what that also means? You're always as close to God as you want to be. Meaning, if you wanted to get closer to God, you could. There's nothing stopping you. You could go talk to Him now. But if you don't, it's because you didn't want to. We'll just be realistic here. You don't have to wait for the pastor to hold your hand. You don't have to wait for the right music to hit. You don't have to use pretty words. You don't have to say, Dear God of Jehoshaphat and the fat brothers of Jeroboam and the Bowen boys. You don't have to kiss up to God. You can talk to God whenever you want. You know, if some of you who heard all these flowery languages and think that's how do you pray. You know, if you went did that for um, asking for uh, cornbread over at your table. I'm from the south. We still have cornbread. And say, dear mother who slaved 18 hours, who put in the buttermilk and mixed this up and baked it at 350 degrees, the mother who gave me birth, the mother who loved me so, the mother who sacrificed. You know, by the time you got done, the biscuits would be all gone if you're from my house. You know what you say? Just pass the biscuits. Just ask. Just talk to him. I don't have to butter mom up to give me biscuits. Pass the potatoes. You can have access to God. You can talk to Him. Isn't that wonderful? No secret calling cards. No person to go through. Any time you want. That's one of the things that the blood of Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus Christ. 
did for us is it gave us access to God. So again, if we have access to God, are you using it? Are you praying? When's the last time you went boldly to the throne room of grace and just talked to him? Do you feel like you could talk to him anytime? At two o'clock in the morning, you're not going to wake up God. Can you talk to him? Can you spend time with him? You have access to God. Use it. He's available. You'll never catch him where he's too busy. You'll never get him where he says, hold on, wait a minute. You'll never get the text that said, sorry, I can't talk now. You have access to God. Use it. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.